Well, hello and welcome to the Hard Yards Podcast. My name is Matty Guyatt and I'm a golf professional here in Australia. As much as I've been chasing that little white golf ball around for some 30 years, I've been chasing sport far longer than that and I love it. I've been very, very lucky through my travels with golf that I've met an amazing cast of sports and business elite. So I thought it was now time to share some of their knowledge gained and some of their tips and tricks they've employed to get them through the tough times and make it to the top of their chosen field. I hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you wherever you are along your journey and give you some new ideas to help you navigate along the way. There's so much to learn, so much to love, so let's get into it. G'day team, I just wanted to mention that this interview you're about to listen to with Stephen Fleming was recorded in New Zealand at the New Zealand Open. Now, we recorded this prior to coronavirus doing what it's done around the world, and so I just wanted to mention that to you because we will chat about upcoming events and things that Stephen's going off to do, which at that time we thought he was heading off towards. So uh, please bear with us um, as we chat as he chats about those things, and uh, hopefully those events and sporting events that he's coaching in can uh, still happen later in the year. I do hope you are also um, all staying safe and healthy. And I wish you and your family the very, very best uh, at this time when things are a little bit challenging. So I hope you can enjoy the next hour or so and it can take your mind off things a little bit on a drive to work if you're still working or give you something to do at home if you're sitting around the house during COVID-19. Take care, everyone. Well, it is a very beautiful morning in New Zealand, actually. I come all the way from across the ditch to uh, New Zealand to interview my second guest on my podcast, The Hard Yards, and it's a great pleasure I get to introduce uh, one of New Zealand's greatest cricketers and greatest captains ever, uh, Stephen Fleming. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Matty. Thank you for joining me on thank The Hard you, Yards. Thank you for joining me in Queenstown. Oh, mate, there's no greater place in the world, is there? You've travelled the world. What do you think? How do you rate Queenstown as a... As a venue of places to go in the world that you've been over the years. Well, it's, it's right up there, but sometimes you don't appreciate what's on your doorstep as much as what's around the other side of the world. So uh, the last few experiences down here with the New Zealand Gulf, I think, have taught me to love this place probably more than anywhere else in the world. It's, uh, it's just marvellous. And when people from overseas come and you see the effect it has on them, it gives you a good sense of pride. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've travelled a fair bit of the world as well, and every time I get off that plane... And you look up and around, it's uh, the freshness in the air and it makes you feel kind of good. I woke up this morning actually thinking I've got to go home tomorrow, back to work and the normal daily grind and I was slightly depressed, I have to say. Oh, let's make the most of today then, eh? <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, a distinguished career uh, for you in cricket. Was it always cricket? Like when you grew up, tell, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, where did you grow up and what sports did you play and when did cricket become the big thing for you? I grew up in Christchurch uh, and grew up just with mum, so it was uh, uh, just the two of us really. So that was a little bit different in terms of um, mm. the family structure. But she was very giving and a lot of uh, time went into just providing the opportunity. In, in New Zealand you get the chance to play a lot of sports, so it was rugby in the winter for me and cricket in the summer. Uh, and that went sort of through my, my early years right up to mid-teens. Um, yeah, right. There was the Canterbury sort of representative teams, but there was no real sign or 
um, I didn't have a burning desire or believe yeah, that wow. I was going to have a, a career in cricket. It was something that I loved doing, but I also enjoyed uh, my friendships through cricket. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the high school parties um, and, and playing cricket through the day to get ready for that. Uh, so it was very social and, and very relaxed. And I make that note because I think it helped when things ramped up a little bit and, um, and it dawned on me that there might be an opportunity, I was ready to be serious, where another path might be full focus on getting to where you want to be quite early and yeah, you just run right. the risk of just burning it too much. And sometimes the sacrifice you have to give can outweigh the prize at the end. Yeah. And if you're giving up too much too early, uh, then it can just taint your view on the prize, I reckon. Yeah, so interesting from that, I guess, your, your love of playing the game and the social component of it um, is a different way to what we see a lot of, I guess, kids and youth today where parents are maybe even driving them a little bit harder to become elite at a very young age. And almost, well, sometimes I question whether it's actually what the kid wants to do. Uh, you, you sort of found the other way. And then once you, yeah. once you got to the point where potentially a career, uh, you'd kind of done your partying, so to speak. And even though I know you don't mind a uh, party now, <laughs> I've, uh, I've watched you over the course of a few years getting to know you and, yeah. and we've had a few beers together and enjoyed ourselves doing that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, fascinating. So, and when did you distinguish cricket versus your rugby? You were saying you, you were playing rugby and enjoying yeah. rugby. Yeah, there was, uh, there was a time we'd played a, a, an underage game which had of significance for us and that team um, and had a win and I was asked to, to play a trial match the following day uh, and just didn't want to do it. Yeah, I just right. no, it's 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 not for me. So something in there clicked, and that was sort of sixteen, seventeen, um, and I was just I was ready to go with cricket. And I and I really mean I was the realization was there that uh, there could be an opportunity through this. Um, and given my background and, and where I'd come from, it was an opportunity that then started to become real. So the the next thing is the switch between the the joy of playing a sport for its pure entertainment and mm. enjoyment value to then okay, how does this shift things? It could become a job, and then there's pressures and everything that goes along. So, uh, I did. I, I fell in love with the game when I was young, and I was, I was able to keep that love of the game most of my career. I fell out of love with it a few times, mm. um, but I still look back and think, "Shit, how lucky was I?" Mm. Yeah. When you we'll just touch on that now. We'll keep looping around. Yeah. The the falling out of love um, that intrigues me because mm. we've had. Uh, some great discussions since we've known each other. We've known each other for a few years now, and and uh, played a bit of golf together now, which is great. But we had a great walk and nine holes chatting on Monday here at the New Zealand Open, and we talked yeah, a bit was. about that and that falling out of love with your sport when it's your job and you know it's your career, and you know there's all sorts of mental pressures, all perceived pressures that you feel yourself. Yeah. So, what were the falling out of love times for you and? How tough were they when, you, you know, it was a sport that you loved and you've loved from when you were a kid? Well, in some ways it become it's probably through loving it too much and then you, once you get a taste of the uh, the, the top end and, and, and you realise that you can compete there, I won't say belong there, but can compete there, you, you want to do it more and mm. maybe you love it too much and then become very protective of, of where you're at. Uh, rather than when you're young and when life's a challenge, you just go for it and you'll give it a crack. As soon as a little bit of fear around performance comes in, I think that's when it starts to blur the lines and you start to turn up at the, the ground hoping that you're going to perform. 
uh, and get a score because the flow-on effect of that is you'll stay in this team or that team or make mm. the next team and that then carries on the opportunity or carries on the career so um, I think it's it's there's periods throughout your career if you're lucky enough to play for a while the stage is pure joy excitement great every challenge is in front of you take it win it start protecting it um, start to grinding it out a little bit start to not enjoy it so much and the runs become the commodity not the excitement and the excitement just dims and it's a little bit more relief and then you start feeling a little bit of fear of performance as you get older because you gain experience uh, and you start to understand outcome a bit more and you actually get trained mentally and physically to become a bit more aware of what performance is about and how to do it and how not to do it um, by the end of it, I just I, I realised what was going on as I was driving to a, a game at the Basin Reserve and, and the, the, the pit of fear in my stomach about the performing that day uh, was going to outweigh any enjoyment I was getting or would get from a good performance. And I just thought right at that point, I, I think I'm done. So that was sort of my journey because I didn't want to play um, that way with a sport that had been so good for me. So that was my sign that I, I think it's probably time to hang up the boots. Mm. And was it? Is that when you decided to do it? Did you, you know, at that yeah. point decide that it was enough? Yep. And it, was, uh, it wasn't, It was I'm stopping today. It was, I'm putting an end point. So there was a series right. against England home and away that I desperately wanted to be part of. Yep. Um, but that gave me a, uh, I saw the door and yep. I was able then to play for another six to eight months with that sort of goal of finishing one a month. And in that period, once you knew the end was coming and you'd made that decision, did that allow you to get back to the love of the game again for that period of time or you know knowing yeah. that knowing that I, I okay, wish I well, could say yes yeah but right. I still had some goals to, to take I had some um, uh, some statistical goals I wanted to achieve yes and the time was running out so that then became a, a real focus on making sure that I, I finished well I no regrets I don't have any regrets even those mistakes all the way through yeah, but sure. I, I really wanted to finish uh, on a good note so no it wasn't a Oh, now I can see the end. Let's go and play. It was a sort of a grind out right to the end. Yeah, because of the statistical. Yeah, uh, just something that I wanted to leave the game with, and that was something that I had sort of goals wise had in place for a while, and I just didn't want to leave those those a little bit short. So let's rewind back a little now. We might revisit some of that a little bit later, but let's rewind back now to you've made a decision that it's not rugby. Yes. What position did you play as a rugby player? I was fly half. Pretty tall. Say, yeah, oh, I was a bit wow. tall. I, I had no speed and I had no real size, so <laughs> if you ask about a decision, it was pretty easy. But I could see the plays ahead, so that might be from the cricket. I could see what needed to be to be done, but um, no, I, I was more a, a, a director than anything else. Was there any fear of the, the hurt that comes with rugby versus cricket? Because I can imagine... And we've chatted about Wasim Akram bowling at you and yes. the fear of that. So yeah. was there, you know, did you ever get to a point where you thought, oh, geez, maybe I'm going to get hurt more playing cricket than I, I would playing rugby. But, you know, what's, what's that like as a fear, uh, as, a, yeah. as an opening batsman? Yeah, well, there's, there's two times. I think you might be right. I think there might have been a bit of self-preservation with that, um, mm. that decision as the size of the, my teammates and opposition got, got big. Um, two times really, really twitchy, batting against Brett Lee when he bowled an opening spell at Napier and it was clocked at 161 which was around that time with Shoab and those guys were and a lot of times it's a little bit inflated um, but I can genuinely tell you it felt like 161 (laughs) and it was it was about a four over spell Um, I got through the 
the next ball after Brett finished, I think I had Cass switched to point and walked off. But the, um, just the, the, between your thumb and your finger where the, the bat cradles in your hand, I had to ice because they would swollen up where the ball was hitting so hard. It was like a couple of bee stings on my hands. And that's not from hitting the ball hard. That's just sort of self-preservation. That's just defending. That's defending. And it's a time that I think if I do everything right here, I still might get hurt. So usually you, you, can, oh you sort of might make a mistake and end up copping one. But... That and a spell from show about do the same thing. It was it was that fast and just felt gee, I'm not sure I can if this is on the money, uh, this might have my number on it. And that's twitchy. And and how does all the training, all the preparation, obviously that comes in extremely handy, but when it's that quick, there's no there's no time. No. no. Right? There's zero time. Yeah. Did you wear one? Did you wear a ball off either of those two guys in those spells? I didn't wear a serious one, the old yeah. glancing blow, which uh, which you can take. But it was more um, if it was a glancing blow, can I get a single? Because I want to get down the other end. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember that being the key priority. <laughs> and unfortunately, it was very easy to take a single to the keeper. So if the, either of us missed the ball, we had that much time just to almost wander through. We could take singles at ease, but it wasn't great because it meant you were back on stroke. So that's sort of the defining memories I have from it. Um, got through it, but I think when you talk about training, it was those times there your body is fully in the fight or flight. It's, yeah, it's right. that point you really are. It's about self-preservation, and it's not about watching the ball and getting into a, a good forward press or a, a technical issue. It's just purely, it is purely survival. So that's what your body is uh, is working on. Survival, but also numbers of cricket balls hit during your entire life of playing cricket. It matters. You know, I, when I coach golf now, it's... Yeah. You know, to get better, well, I wish I could give a student 10,000 of the, you know, 2 million shots I've hit in my 30 years. You yes. know, it's repetition, yes. facing bowling machines, you know, yeah. you know, seeing it at speed and, and reacting. I'm sure that's a big part of the process. Yeah, it is. And that's right. No, those moments we're talking about there that you can't train for there, that's just what your body has. And, yes. and you've got tools that you train and learn. And, and uh, your sport's a great example of it where it's rope learning, isn't it? If yes. you can just keep training and training in a conscious way, then subconsciously when you let go to perform or play that shot, um, that's when all that training will come through. Uh, which is quite fascinating. The only difference, and we've talked about this, is when I'm training and hitting balls, hitting 50 cover drives or a defensive or a block, I don't know when I'm going to use that because the bowler will always dictate to me yeah. that, that play. So uh, in golf, you are controlling your um, your emotions and, and you're in your um, systems and your routines. Exactly the same, but the element of unknown always gives you a, a nervousness because mm. if it's Glenn McGrath or Shane Warne or Wazzy Macram, their best ball against my best shot it's 50-50 that their best ball might, get win it. might even be 60-40 yeah. and that's you, you end up hoping that I hope it's not their day you're trying to combat that that they're the world's best for a reason and they always dictate to me what's going to happen because of where they bowl it and that was a, it's a hard way to, to make a career at times yeah absolutely it's fascinating and when you watch cricket and I've been a yeah, you're uh, snuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I've I've been a sportsman since I was born. As I said in podcast one with Matty Mackay, that you know I was born as a twin and into a family of four boys, and it was from the minute I could walk, it was on competitively, and and so I love it all. Watching cricket over the years, I, I've seen certain players play who look like they have time. You know, the, the yes. they just look like they have an abundance of time, even though yeah. these guys are bowling at them. You know, I think a Mark War comes to mind for yeah. me as 
just looked like he had, you know, it's like the ball slowed down on the way to the to Mark War. You know, there's, That's right. you know, did you ever feel like watching on the game as well? Did you see guys and think, why do they look like they've got so much time when I'm batting? And did you feel like you ever had time or well, were you in form? Yeah, I think that's form, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and the best in the world, you would say that not only just cricket, you look at them and the efficiency of movement and the ease in which they play, um, but the power and the position that goes with it is mm. something that I, I enjoy. I think that's what separates the absolute best from the good slash great. Yeah. Uh, and when you're in form, I think... That's what you're trying to feel. Now, whether that often looks like it or if it passes the eye test with others watching, um, it's for others to say, but I think it's that time where everything comes together and it's a sport where you are, are not thinking about anything mm. and you're just, you're just remotely, you are just automatic. Mm. That's, that's form. When, you, when you're out of form, you're thinking about everything else. You're training things. Uh, looking for things in the search, we get to the search. Yeah, we talked about the search. The search, which comes with form. If you start searching, you end up going in a circle, which is how big that search circle will be, because you think there's, in your career, there's a piece of the puzzle sitting there, and if you find it, you are going to be one of the greats. It's not about <laughs> hard work and, and being happy with what you've got. There's got to be something else out there, because this guy's doing it better than me. Mm. I've just got to find that piece. So then you're searching, you'll get something, you'll get a bit of advice, or you'll, you'll play around with your batting grip or something different, and it'll feel great, but then it'll run out and you'll search for something else. I was a searcher. I was never completely happy that I was sure there was just one more piece of the puzzle that would make things a bit easier, but you know what, mate? It's, it's not easier. There's nothing there to make it easy. It's hard. Mm. Uh, and the best train, probably longer than others, you don't see that. And that ease in which they find form and, and play with confidence. Uh, they have the same insecurities and they've done the same things. They're just at peace with what they've got. That's my take on it. Did you find contentment at times with Stephen Fleming, the cricketer, and the form and the, the style and the way you batted? Did you find yeah. contentment at times when you went, you know what, Steve, this is what you've got. Yeah. Do what you do well and, and, yeah. and, and go out there and... You know, produce it over and over. Did you find yeah. contentment at times, or did, did you have lot. times we didn't search? Yeah, a lot, um, and a lot of times where the search would end up back at that point, and it wasn't far away from when yeah. I started the search. So you look back, you think, "Well, how on earth did I get to that point there?" Yeah. And every all of a sudden, the world seems a bit a bit calmer and a bit clearer. And um, yeah, and, and that can be one ball. It can be an over. It's like, "Whoa!" Struggling against Murley, and all of a sudden, you just you might focus on the ball a bit better and it's like you, you jolt back into form. So sometimes it's just actually gutsing it out and, 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 and to find form in so many different ways. But come back, I was never able to, to sit in it long enough to, for it to be natural. Yeah, right. It was just, I was constantly uncomfortable with it. And mm. that meant the search was always around the corner. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, in sport? I think we're all, it's that striving, is, is it the striving to be better? You know, is that what it is? Well, possibly. You know, is it that But is it's, it that fluid, it's fluid as well. As soon as you get mm. it, the, the bowlers work, they think, are you, are you playing well? You'll get a bit of attention from the bowlers a bit more, um, and they'll start finding a, a, another weakness. So it's fluid. It's when you think you've got it, and that's the beauty of sport, when you think you've nailed it, it just around the corner is another challenge. And it, it might be wind conditions in golf. It might be the ball swinging in one day, not, but not swinging the next. But... And the days when everything's right and it fits your eye and you're, and you're on, then that's great. But that doesn't happen as many other times as when you're having to sort of make adjustments on the fly and just uh, just getting it done. Mm. 
So you, you eventually played for New Zealand. When yeah. was that? When did you uh, first crack it into the Black Caps? When I was 20. That was my first so test. First cap. And where was that? And who that against? It was in Hamilton against India. So a home test. Home test. Uh, and it went well. First innings. Did you uh, open then? No, I was betting down the order. Betting five, I think it was. Um, only got a handful in the first innings, but it was good to get underway. And got 91 in the second. Wow. And that was really important because each level you go up, you always wonder whether it might be a level too far. So to have mm. the chance to bat against Kapil Dev and um, wow. Srinath and, and Tendulkar and all those guys around and actually put a performance together quite early was a, a chance to take a breath and settle and, and start believing. Yeah, and belief is massive in sport, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, what was it like from innings one to innings two then, you know, given that you didn't make many runs in the first innings? How does that... How do you deal with that mentally? What are the staff like on the on the team and the captain and, and you know, helping a young guy who's in his first test who's yeah. been dismissed quite early and then and clearly if you're going in the second innings and making 91, yep. uh, the team needed some runs um, at that point in the match, whether yep. you're batting, you know, third or fourth. Um, runs were required from New Zealand, I would imagine. Yeah. So it's a huge turnaround. How do you... You know, what happened? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you get an overload of information. Like people, sure. people want to pass on. They want to help you so much, and they want you to do it. But it actually doesn't doesn't really matter what people say because um, it's not until you do it yourself and believe that you can that you can um, function at this level that you you kick ahead. Mm. And some wonderful people will sit with you, and they will mate, just watch the ball relax and breathe. But <laughs> you're not breathing; your legs are shaking, and it's and it really is. You have to find out for yourself. It's the, deep the team stink or swim sort of thing. It is, and the team around can be magnificent. Um, but look, some people have never settled. Mm. Uh, the best team environments around, they, they've just not been able to settle because. They just don't get across the line. Luck can play a part as well. Um, mm. But again, that, that word belief, you don't get belief until you contribute is, is, is what I've learned. So in some ways, just just let me be and just fingers crossed it works. You're there for a reason, so you can obviously play. Yes. Um, and it's just, you're just hoping that those skills will come out or mentally you will allow them to come out under this ball of stress and nerves and knots. So as your ninety one nausea, yeah. As your ninety one innings you started and you, you maybe got into double digits or you got that first run obviously and then you got into your double digits, does your trust start to grow as you're playing? Yeah. And you feel well, it starts to become more normal. More real and yeah. feel like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I you can start do playing this. The, the ball, not the man and the and the yes. surrounds, like an in in increasing crowd and and just the whole stigma of it being a, an international match. It, yeah. It just, it does, you get very blurred and very, um, you overcomplicate. So once you get in and start simplifying things and it becomes a little bit of normality back into it, you find then that's being comfortable and then you start playing the game, which um, seemed very foreign, say 15 minutes earlier when you're walking out and uh, with your legs shaking. Was is that internal, external expectation on yourself or others? You felt perceived expectations from those around you. Uh, how do you deal with that as a young guy playing in your first test match? And, you know, were those things that never really went away throughout the course of a career? Uh, obviously, you went on to be New Zealand's, you know, 
greatest run scorer, I believe, in Test Second cricket. Now, Ross, Ross Taylor. No, Ross Taylor's yeah, just passed you, but you were at the time. Take that off the email, yeah. You, well, you, you passed uh, Martin Crowe, was it? Yes. Uh, yeah. And first to 100 tests, I believe, as well. Yes. Uh, so did it ever, did ever those personal expectations or managing your own expectations or the expectations of others, you captain the side, obviously, as well, um, most successful New Zealand captain. So, yeah, how do you deal with that? Well, it's a number of things, really. The, um, one of the, um, the challenges which you sort of mentioned there or talked about was the captaincy. So mm. coming to grips with myself as a player and how I fitted in was one thing. Um, and keep in mind, at twenty, I didn't have the I didn't have the skills. So there's a naivety around what I was facing and what I was doing. Mental skills side of the game was just beginning. Yeah. But in terms of a young player going through underage, we're really exposed to a lot of uh, sort of breathing and uh, techniques that are now used very well to, to sort of manage emotions. Uh, so it's just naivety there. But then the, the captaincy when I was twenty three, so it's three years old. Still on, young. It's, it's young and it's too young. Um, but again, it's now balancing leadership with batting, and I'm not—I haven't mastered batting by any means. That's that's unfinished business. So then to now split time and start to learn this whole new set of of, of, of tricks and responsibilities and, and and play the game that way was uh, another chapter that um, well it was at times difficult, but uh, again naivety and wanting to take it on was a big part of it. It was. Uh, it was a fascinating couple of years. Yeah, awesome. And not something that everyone is successful at, captaincy, you know? No. And, uh, and like the batting, well, I suppose. Sometimes people come and they've got talent, yeah. but like you said before, they don't necessarily grasp how to deal with the emotions and the mental side yeah. of things of batting. And Well, the way, know, the way I like to go. put it is that they've run out of time. Mm. Like, you, they just haven't... They, you have... When you're picked or you're up for selection in a team, you have a certain amount of time to perform, and it might be two tests or mm. it could be three tests um, in New Zealand possibly a bit longer just with the lack of um, competition for places but leadership's exactly the same the lead, captaincy can be learnt there, there's some skills that, that you natural skills or attributes that you have that will form your style of leadership but I think there's a lot of leaders that are cut short it might be two years teams performing badly to get a new captain but the next two years of what that captain's learned could be the time that the team moves forward. Yeah. So I think there's a real, um, I think the, the time frame put on leadership is too short. But I also understand that there's, you need mm. results. Results driven industry. So it's a double-edged sword really because some of the great leaders have potentially been cast aside because the team didn't have time to perform with them or the lessons or the style just wasn't quite ready or wasn't quite a good fit. And at the time for them, so I got time. Mm. And my first couple of years of captaincy were, I would say, looking back, probably pretty steady at yeah. best. But what I did have was a group of mates about the same age, and we were in this together. So it was never a, oh, here I am, this is yeah. my style, because of the group that was around me, was always going to be inclusive. Because I didn't have an idea for some of the things. My first team talk, I remember, we had a, um, a legendary uh, all-black rugby captain as our manager. And I was into his room just... Please help me how to sort of compile this. What do I, what do what I want am to say? say? Because you go, you start thinking there's an expectation that I've got to give this Chilean speech and get these guys fired up. Well, that wasn't me, and it probably wasn't them. So, being natural was my first lesson. What, what feels right to trust it? Don't be something you're not when you're leading or a captain. Be something that you are, and, and push that forward and bring others with you. But 
that group of players being like-minded and, and sort of and the journey together gave me time and through that time we were able to get lessons and their style and uh, start forming a, a pretty good team, pretty handy team, which of course then helps performances, helps leadership and your captaincy grows because you get confidence from it, but you're learning new tricks the whole time. Yeah, learning new tricks the whole time is, is, is a, a key phrase there. I think you obviously, if you want to learn, if you want to grow, you know, yeah. you can. You know, once you close the doors to it, it's uh, hard to grow. But I've certainly been a part of two of your captaincy speeches now in the celebrity <laughs> cricket match here in New Zealand, and they're <laughs> rousing. You know, they, are, they, they were. Yeah. They were That's special. Right. They were yeah. special. Especially the ears on your arms, don't they? Oh, they stand up like last nothing Sunday, else. You, you, you gave it to us. It's, yeah. It was brilliant. And, and I remember Pom really lifted in that first over, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah, did. Peter O'Malley. Yeah, he could have gone. What, he went for 26. He could have gone for 36. <laughs> fantastic. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Did you ever have times as a player and as a captain, quite possibly, where the outside noise... Uh, was loud Uh, and how do you cope with that you know some of our listeners will be going through that at the moment in their own careers as they're looking to push forward to to make it to the elite Uh, some young kids potentially who are rising through the ranks right now are starting to get a little bit of outside noise talking about how good they might be and you know how do you or even the the negative press the negative outside noise when you know performances either as a batsman leading the team or their captaincy decisions might have cost a test match or a one-day match. Yeah. Let's talk through that and, you know, how do you deal with that? Uh, on, on different levels. There's two things. When you're, when you're a leader and you're performing well, you still have uh, um, a sense of confidence. You, you're still bubbly and you're able to deal with it, so your skin is a bit thicker. Mm. It's sort of like, well, the team's like, well, but I'm, I'm sort of doing my job and it's more about the team. Uh, the challenge is when the team is... Uh, the next challenge would be the team's doing well and getting results, but you're not getting the runs. Mm. That's still okay because you still get a little bit of time, but the team's doing really well, so it's still captaincy's good, it's, it's mm. great, and you're battling on a personal level to start contributing. Now, the worst one is when the team's doing poorly and you're doing poorly. Mm. Now, that's noise, so if you want a decibel rating, the top's pretty quiet, <laughs> and it ramps up as it gets right down to the bottom. I remember one, probably a couple of my darkest days, uh, we were came off a really good series in South Africa where we were losing last over to like Sean Pollock and Cluzen was playing out of his skin at that mm. stage and we were, we were losing unlosable games because they were just taking it away from us and we lost that series 5-0 somehow one day series yeah one day series we came back to Sri Lanka and we lost Jasper and those boys and we lost sort of three on the bounce here so here we're looking at eight in a row and I, um, I haven't really featured in Auckland Big, our biggest paper, The Herald, had an editorial on why I should be sacked as captain. Um, and and, that, and I read it. I read all articles to get Did you it. always read? Yeah, I did. People did. say they don't. But I, I did because I wanted a grasp on what the feel was out there. Mm. Because that was part. I, I needed to be strong enough to accept. But if I walked into a press conference and I had read the comments, I felt I was ahead of the game. So I could sort of plan what my questions or answers were going Responses, to be. Responses, yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't nice, but it did help. But this day was, wasn't great. It was about 7 a.m. and my hotel phone rang. Uh, and it was a guy called Paul Holmes, late, late Paul Holmes now, but he was probably our, our, most, uh, our most famous um, commentator, news commentator, and he had a massive show following. I thought, oh my God, I've just been slammed in the New Zealand Herald. Now <laughs> I've got Paul Holmes, he's going to be all over me. But he reached out and he basically said, well, any, any enemy of the Herald is a friend of mine. Uh, 
And it was quite a remarkable, <laughs> mo- remarkable moment wow. because I went on his show about two days later mm. and just simply had a chat about captaincy and, and how it's feeling to be under pressure. And, um, and I spent some time with him. And it was, I, I don't know, it was such a random relationship, start of a relationship and friendship, uh, mm. just born out of that under pressure. And I just got a little bit more clarity around what Paul was saying and, and the help that he gave me. And things got fractionally better and then they got a bit more better and they got a lot better and it just swung around again it got time it might have been selectors thinking mm, for a way but we jagged a, a game the next game that took a bit of pressure off so I got a reprieve but I do remember one time writing down doing the, the good things and bad things and the list was so skew with bad things mm-hmm. what I was doing and what it was doing to me that I went to bed just thinking after a session with Gilbert Anoka who was the been with the All Blacks for 20 odd years he was cutting his teeth with us I went to bed uh, done, I I was resigning there was no way I could function with that Um, and then I woke up the next morning and rang him, I said mate I can't give this away this is too good a challenge and he knew exactly, so he said yes and he he had prepared all the work that we needed to do moving forward, but to go through that and have a night sleeping without being the New Zealand captain just didn't fit <laughs> I, wasn't, yeah, wow. I wasn't ready to give up the fight yeah. he knew that he did it beautifully and that, so that resolve then came back from those times when the, the noise was so loud it was deafening um, but you just get through it's not easy mate we talked about it it's just yeah. not easy it's, as soon as you think you've nailed it um, you, you'll get tested in was way. that an important part of being able to get through those tough times Stephen where you had a good group of people team of people around you to be able to voice how you felt you know uh, in those moments you know you said you yeah. wrote down the you know the rights and wrongs of yeah. what was going on and the wrongs were outweighing it you know but the determination sometimes we you know if you really love it enough you know you, you find yeah. a way and you need to have the right people and yep. it putting the right team in place yeah it's really important but sometimes you also need to let them in so yeah. the other saying that I, I really love from Gilbert is to be where your feet are yeah, and if I look back during those times, I might be at home with my wife. Or kid. Oh, I'm not there. I'm, I'm nowhere. Was I was miles else. away. I'm thinking yeah. about what I'm going to say to the media. Who's in this? And it's so being where your feet are. If you can separate and have that balance, uh, that's very important because then you are listening. And the other, the other one is listening. Mm. Like how well do you listen? Um, we become great talkers, and it's part of when you meet people. But the ability to listen as a leader is mm. very underrated because the leader's voice is, is what you hear and some people want to hear it but to get the leader's ear uh, genuinely listen I had an experience we were working with half uh, half the team because they were the senior players group mm. the leadership group which is the trendy thing now to have the yes. players group uh, I had one young player in a, in a session we were doing call me aloof and I, just, I couldn't believe it after all this work we'd been doing with this yeah. with this leadership group it was nothing more than being incredibly inclusive and open and he just said well look you only deal with half the team is it the other half of the team that you don't listen to or don't have coffee with you just play with and yeah. we find it very aloof and, and not part of it and it, and it cut me to the core and yeah. it was because it was 100% right great yes. to have the senior management it's like a senior management in business but the people on the floor are still providing you the runs or the product or the yes um, and to, to be disrespecting them by not listening to them or spending my time with them was um, uh, was hurting them and it was then hurting me because it was my endeavour to create one of the best environments I could and I was only doing it with half my team so and the, and the efforts to be right and, and get this model in place I'd overlooked a pretty important part of the 
wow. part of the puzzle. So more learning along the way there yeah. <laughs> on the run and, yes. and learning through, I guess, learning through failure at times too, right? So, you know, we spoke about this the other day out, out there that, you know, you, if you put yourself into the arena yeah. of New Zealand test captaincy yes of leading the men there's it, there's no the only guarantee is you're going to fail at some point in that process yeah. you know the, if you don't put yourself in the arena well then you might not you know and you might be able to just you know walk along ca- calmly and yeah. you know not fail but by putting yourself out there which you did you know you, you're setting yourself up to fail at certain things but when did uh, the personal did you ever have times where you, you were looking at yourself as Stephen Fleming, the cricketer, the captain of New Zealand, and that was, your vision was clouded, that that was what your legacy was, that, you know, people were defining you as the cricket player, as the captain, versus Stephen Fleming, the man, the person, that, you know, well, yeah, I know I know a lot more about Stephen Fleming, the person, I guess, yeah. and, you know, that we've spent a bit of time chatting and playing golf and... There's no better place than in a golf cart when you no, that's right. have a, you know have yep. time together. To, yes. to, and we, you chatted to me about that about the yeah. uh, the the Melbourne Stars boys and getting time in playing yeah. golf with those boys, so you could actually learn who your players were. Correct. Yeah. Um, was there times when you know that was clouded for you? I know for me in my golf career, I found it really difficult. That was a really tough thing for me when I wasn't performing, missing cuts, yep. you know, not making runs in cricket form missing cuts and and feeling like I was you know people were looking at me with disappointment that you know Matt Guy's fail Matt Guy's a golfer whereas yeah. really life's about a bit more than that isn't it yeah it is it is but gee it's intertwined it's hard isn't it yeah because that is what's defining you and it's shaping you for, for me shaping me as a person because yes. I am the cricketer and that's what that's what I do um I th- I had I had a pretty nonplussed look on my face most times, so I, I learned pretty quickly that being emotional under pressure is, is bad. It's the last thing from a leader is you want someone kicking off when things aren't going well. Everyone knows they're not going well. They don't yeah. need you to be kicking cans and carrying on, especially at first slip. It's not, someone's not bowling well, I'm looking down and seeing steam coming out of my head. So I had a very, <laughs> almost I think described, I had bees in my mouth, it's chew gum and glasses on. And, uh, underneath the mind is whirring or the mm. um, or, or and was it whirring to your own you know as I said your own thoughts about yourself in those moments at times probably more professional but it was it was more about me as a person so this is how it intertwines yeah. you're right in the middle of the most public display and, yes. and under pressure um, so it's about my what what defines me how do, how do I deal with this because everyone's yeah. getting hot under the collar so you talk about how to separate the two they're, they're mm. very 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 hard um, not to live life being being that person um, but again I'll come into the same being where your feet are when I was right there I was the cricket captain yeah, this right. was everything about that as soon as we were at, at home um, I was still the cricket captain so that's what I had to learn I think it's learned to try and separate rather than the husband the father and it's a genuine it's, but it's genuine time again you can go home and you can pretend you can do the, all the things but if you're not there if you haven't been able to separate that and then mm. the Maddie guy the, the person comes home after another bad day you've got to be disappointed you can't be dancing around if you missed a cut dancing around at home the people who love you around you aren't going to expect you to be 
to be cheerful, but they, mm. they want they would just want genuine they want reality they just want you mm. um, but you have to accept yourself first <laughs> it's a hard one because you're beating yourself up more yeah, than what sure. any, anyone else can yep. and that's the drive where unfortunately you can see with some catastrophic outcomes for some uh, some of the rates in cricket where people get in trouble and very high mm. just being able to deal with that the barrage any advice on that negativity uh, it's be open that we beat ourselves I think up we're better, I think we're better at it Mm. Um, the pressures around it now aren't so taboo. They are, in fact, right in, in, in full front of most people, and there's uh, better support services around. But the most dangerous times are obviously when people are struggling and also when they finish, because it's like, I guess, being an addict, that you've been doing mm. this, you are consumed by it, mm. absolutely consumed. And uh, to give up uh, is hard. Mm. and to have something to not do something that's been a big part of you. some people are easy with it mm. they, can, they can just turn it off and away they go but uh, for others it's almost that detox so I do T20 coaching and that's allowed me to stay within the game for now for 12 years and, and build uh, a different part of me for the other sort of 10 9 to 10 months so I'm only really discovering um, other things and learning new skills outside of the game but I've still got an attachment to cricket Mm. So still, I saw him, the cricketer or the cricket coach, but I've got a couple of more layers around me now that just through learnt experiences with having more time on my hands. Mm, fantastic. Certainly not a short game that's got a long way to go. No, well, you know, we gave you a little <laughs> flop shot over a bunker this week, didn't we? Huh? We did. It's small you, steps. Yeah, small steps, right? And you've got some time to play a bit of golf now, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, let's think about your career for a second here and. You know, for a little period of time there, there was a little bit of chatter, whether you heard this chatter or not, that, you know, you weren't able to convert, yeah. uh, you know, your 50s into 100s. Yeah. What, what changed? What, what changed in a... Was there a period of time where... What did you do differently to, to all of a sudden be able to go on and make a, you know, a couple of double tons, in fact? Yeah, I, I, didn't, have, I didn't know how. Right. It was a short answer. Yeah. And, and, I, and it's, it's the conclusion that I've come to. Because I... Okay, New Zealand cricket at the time, there was some good players. It was a transitional period. We would have a very good team through the 80s, moving into the 90s, uh, really sort of developing itself. The great like Sir Richard Hadley, um, Martin Crowe was still playing, but he was injured a number of times. So we were, we were losing a couple of our greats. Uh, to get the opportunity to play in the New Zealand team at that time, I, there wasn't a volume of runs um, that made me feel that I could understand why I was getting run. So there was a skill aspect. I had a natural skill at the ball, but how to construct the innings, how much 100 meant, I was just playing. I was still just playing. Yeah, I really right. was. I was just playing, and if the team was in a good spot and got to 80 and got out, that's all right. Like, going, like, like me going at every flag on a Friday afternoon at the local Nailing club. It. And, that's it. You, know, you were 600 with me the other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. That, and that was it. That was it. it wasn't, I wasn't driven to get 20 test hundreds. Mm. My first innings, I was trying to hit, I thought, I was 92, I think it was, because I knew I was two fours away, so I thought I was, I'd rehearsed it, I was predetermining where bang, I was going to go. Yeah, I was going to hit that one over cover, <laughs> and then I was just going to slog sweep that one, there's my 100. And I just nicked it to Campbell Dev, it slipped, walked off, and oh, oh, well. It's not like it wasn't, it just it didn't wasn't. didn't hurt enough? No, because I didn't understand, or I just wasn't really statistically driven. I, it comes back to playing the game. I, I didn't set out to become the New Zealand career captain or play 100 tests. They were just, they just happened. It just, so my goal, so the ability to set goals, and it's a big part for some people, my goal was to play the game as well as I could that day. Yeah, wow. And get in the fight and compete with this group of guys and have fun with that. 
it was it didn't have to I've got to face 300 balls and I mean I'll get 100 or I just my body, I just tried it yeah. and I just couldn't do it I, I was thinking Shit, how can I just sit here and go I'm going to get 100 today that power I didn't believe in the power of that I just yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. So I just go. I just play each ball and just play. And then when I became more aware of it, more by peer pressure and from noise, and because it, it was hurting the team, um, it became much more of a focal point. But with that, then came when I get to fifty, it would be a harder time for me to bat yeah. because I'm going. I don't want to get another fifty. So you, you uh, kind of know what's then coming yeah, in the dressing room wrong, and the no. coaches and, and the oh, no, no, again no. and what's written in the papers what's which you said you read. So then it becomes, so I've had a good day because so I've got maybe 98 or 99, but it's still a failure. Shane Warne, 99. Oh, he's brilliant. Do you, so you, do do you still that. enjoy that? Yes. Talking to Warnie? Well, yes. <laughs> yes, I still run him through the field because I wasn't close to him. <laughs> and to be fair, I left, that field was open. If you ever want a field to get 100, I thought, mate, I see you play well. I'm okay if you get 100. I'll take you in here. But if you nudge one through there, it's fine. Yeah, and if you're good enough. If you're good enough. Lo and behold, behold the blood was boiling and he hit one down. <laughs> we know what happened. <laughs> um, and so then, so that added to my to the fear of failure because you know if I'm not even enjoying getting an 80 or 90 and that's deemed it, oh, another failure, then it was, oh my God, what, how, where am I getting my kicks here? I'm actually, I'm, even when it's going well, I'm putting myself under more and more and more pressure. So my record's really interesting. When I got to 100, I would usually go on. It'd be big, big hundreds, like two or three, two double hundreds or big hundreds. No mm-hmm. worries. Back into it. It was just getting the pressure that was built up through missing out for one reason or another just became a burden that was um, it was, just, it was difficult and unnecessary. So when you got to the 100, your pressure valve yeah. release yeah. and all Back of a sudden it. it's like oh well if I get out now yeah. I've made my hundred well, the, like I could go the, back to the normal. negative noise it's won't gone. happen go today to normal. You know? just, yeah, so then you just bad. score runs again well, so if it's I just ball by ball. the whole time that's a silly thing if you've just gone back and just just carried on with my ball by ball routine yeah, no problem there might have had, there might have been a time like you go you bat as well as you like I think um, Joe Roops has gone through a period of time where I've watched him be under pressure for not mm. getting He's batting beautifully. He's getting out different ways, and that's the game. Mm. But it's, so there will be a, mentally probably wanting again too much. So there might be a chance. I've really got to get a hundred this time. I think we've seen it in all sports too, right? You know, you, you think of Jordan Spieth in my sport, yep. and you know, absolute top of the world yep. a few years ago, and now really struggling. You know, and it's that search. You go back to that search you yeah. you spoke about earlier, where yeah, you know he's now on the he's now on the search and. You know. Well, you think that it's a little bit different in a sense that if you always played 14 holes well, mm. and then your last four holes, you had to put the icing on the cake. So you yeah, get to sure. 70, sure. and you've played, and then you walk off, God, with maybe four bogeys. <laughs> and so then you get to the 14th again, and you're playing beautifully, you think, oh, I can't let that happen again. So yeah. you just tighten up again. <laughs> so it's just sort of repeat song and stuff. But it's, it just, it's just hard. It's just, that's what it is. It's just, you've got to keep keep things very simple when everything around you is just even the more you play more experience you have it gets more complicated post cricket you've just touched on it before about moving into T20 coaching yeah and the introduction of T20 cricket uh, I think looking at your record earlier you didn't play a massive amount of T20 games no, 2008 was the first IPL and I think we played uh, one of the first international games against Australia where we dressed up in retro kit. And yeah, I don't right. think Australia got the invitation because they were normal, pretty straight. Yeah, <laughs> and they play, and we played accordingly. <laughs> I think we got smacked. But 
Yeah, it was that's where it was. It was just finishing then, 2007, 2008. The IPL came along, um, and I got bought by the Chennai Super Kings. Has uh, the money changed much from then to now? Uh, you don't have to talk about what you made, but you know, you you're a part of the IPL still. Yeah. as a coach. So. Yeah, no, no, the beauty of it, it hasn't because it was auction based. So, mm. it, um, this I think. The salary cap is really about still the same, Similar. but the yeah, fluctuations are based on a little bit of luck. Um, it's like buying a house, really, how many people want you yeah, sure. versus who's hot at the moment. Mm. So you might have some guys who don't play and then come in. Um, so after this World Cup, there were some guys that came and Pat Cummins got big money, uh, big money, as the timing was right for him because mm. uh, he deserved to be the number one sort of seed in that, that auction. So it is. there's no rhyme or reason to it, but um, it hasn't fluctuated that much. Uh, apart from being a major partner of the the world calendar and career calendar, and being a coach uh, yeah. in that competition, and yes. obviously you've you've been a, a coach in the Big Bash in Australia uh, for the Stars, uh, yeah. which is where I met you actually, um, coming into Brisbane to play my right. my beloved Heat and uh, bringing well KP ringing me up for a game of golf. That's and right. Yes. That you all came. Uh, what's it like? You know, and what's the responsibility of a coach now if we move out of your playing career into a coaching career and the challenges and the difficulties of that? You know, are you formulating your squads? How heavily involved are you with that? And, you know, what pressure does that bring to you when it's a franchise that you, you know, once again, it's still performance based? It is, yes. Yeah. It's uh, it's fascinating, actually. Um, And and not only dealing with that, but some of the the best players in the world. So when I finished, I joined a team that had Murali, uh, Matthew Hayden, Mike Hussey. uh, Amy Stoney was was the captain. Um, (laughs) Some good names. Some really good names. And and Tini, the players who had all um, gone up against and didn't know. So to then be sitting in the changing room was an amazing dynamic and a very lucky one too because... Uh, Matthew Hayden's a good example. You just don't get to know Matthew Hayden mm. when you play against him. You just look at him and he just he just oozes sort of Australian strength and just belligerent and, and yeah, you just just you want to get him out. He just fire. He's just a good competitor. So it's bloody hard to, to get inside and, and get some time with him. But what a fascinating guy when you get to know him. Merely the same fascinating guy. And then it's playing the first year. I got the opportunity to be player coach. I think Chennai saw that their investment, they wanted a return on their investment with me and my playing days were done. So uh, I got back in the ring in terms of managing people and I think that's the number one role is man management and that applies to business, uh, to sport, mm. uh, everyday life. The way you manage people is, I think, is number one. So managing what this group of people that had come together for this franchise is number one priority. And within that group, I had Indians. Did you choose those players? Or not, the first, not the first three years, but they mm. were, I was part of the roster that they made up. So that was, and it was very good. They did a great mm. job. So that was a nice list to have to get started with. Uh, but in that, you've got Indians from different parts of India. So Hindu, mm. uh, Tamil, all around. It was, it was challenging. Then you had Australians, South Africans, uh, Kiwis. You had a real melting pot of people. And that's when I learned my one of my sort of second major lessons about communication I again felt as a coach that back to the days we talked about captaincy and what was expected I wanted to outlay my expectations and to be quite honest my expectations were don't make these players do what I didn't like doing when I was playing there's a lot of things done in sport that's irrelevant and waste time sure but coaches don't trust that just letting the player sort of control the area 
um, and dictating what program they want is going to be good enough. So you end up wasting time for no real return. I thought, sure, with this group of players and the numbers that they have, I just really want them to, to do what they... And to do to perform. Just empower, just do it. Yep. I've seen an environment where you can do it. So Matt Hayden's chat was about, what do you want to do, Matt? You've played so much um, cricket. What, what's a perfect IPL for you? He said, mate, I want to surf. I said, no worries. <laughs> this is going to test it if yeah, I'm really true to my philosophy. In India. This was in South Africa. It was the second year oh, it got changed right. out. Yeah, that right. would, yeah, there are some good spots in India to surf, I think, by the way. But uh, it was in South Africa, so some okay. of the great breaks uh, all around the country. Some so great we, sharks too. Yeah, there are. <laughs> yeah, didn't, you didn't really think of that. Could have lost Bay. our opening batter. Yeah, Mick Fanning. So, uh, so Matt, we set up a program where Matt went surfing. We just looked at the waves, and, and at times that meant leaving the team or late or um, coming back. So it tested the philosophy early, but uh, thankfully, uh, Hados was the top run scorer. So if I wanted a confirmation about empowering people, he gave it to me because at one chat at the Durban Surf Club, he said, mate, this is the best one I'll play. I'm getting a chance to do what I love. I surf in the morning have a rest and I smack a white ball around have a win how good is this it's <laughs> great just keep, like just keep doing it but the team talked to all the guys so this had to be good I wanted to outlay this philosophy to the players and um, I felt it went really well sometimes you walk off after speaking to people and you go yeah I didn't really nail that well I walked out and I thought oh, nailed it really happy I don't <laughs> think I can speak any better than that I said, I said, okay, yeah. He's going to say yes. Mr. Cricket's going to say yes to everything. And then I had, there's a young Indian boy. I said, uh, did you, do you understand that? Did you like that? Is that clear? He said, oh, Fleming, you speak so fast we can't understand a single thing you said. <laughs> and I just went, oh, 70% of the room, I just lost. Didn't understand. <laughs> so there was a major lesson. It was like communication. If you've got a melting pot, um, you've got to make sure that you're not saying it for you, that you're saying it for and to the people that, that need to hear that's mm. when you speak keep in mind that listening is more of a more of a go-to for me than standing up and preaching so it was a bit I know I was annoyed with that but again it was good good messaging good again listen you to learn yeah. yeah again you learn and grow yeah uh, just one more thing on the coaching front and then we we might wrap this up but um the new series in England coming up you spoke about this to me the other day which I think yes. is a fascinating little chat it was a uh, how do you call it? Is it all the players in the pool? You can choose what was yeah. it called? It was uh, the draft. The yeah. draft, yeah, player yes. draft. This is the first one in in your understanding of the yep. history of cricket. Uh, there have been some others. This was the first one in English sport. Yes, yes, okay. televised. And for this competition, the first one to set up teams. So the first uh, first time a franchise based uh, competition will be in cricket and through a draft in England and yes the first draft and you were telling me that your team somehow I don't know how the, the order was picked but you know out somehow, of a hat out of the hat and yes. you, you drew number one number one so you've got <laughs> the choice of yes. any cricket player pretty much uh, who'd put their name forward I assume they've got to put their name forward yes they're all there I think De Villiers was the only main sort of top player you would say was, was, was not, not there. there so you've got the choice to choose anyone in world cricket in to, shot, yeah. to potentially build your team around uh, yeah. I guess for that T10 series um, which is coming up it's going to be exciting to watch uh, how do you sleep on that how do you yeah. you know you, ask, you know the answer this is good though <laughs> yeah it's, it's like awesome. walking into a lolly shop isn't it with it have any lolly it was just like oh my god what's going to taste the best for longest so 
Um, it's a great analogy. You tried to get, I tried to sort of canvas the area. We had some brains like uh, Shane Warne's team, Darren Lehman's over there, um, some really good coaches. And, and casually over the two days while we're sort of peacocking around before the before the draft, you just sort of, oh, what do you reckon? First pick, hey, what do you think? So and two of those white, other coaches? Yeah, so you're just having, a, few, doing you're the having same the breakfast banter over coffee or yeah. whatever? Yeah, oh, right. would be good. Well, you, you're going to go Rashid Khan, aren't you, Flynn? Uh well, maybe Andre. You'd go Andre Russell Flynn, wouldn't you? So it was um, that didn't help because that just kept building up the the anxiety around. I've got to get this right. What a responsibility to the franchise! I've got to get this right. Mm. Um, but what a great problem to have. You're not going to miss, mm. but you just got to make sure that it's probably the picks after that that then reflect because whichever way you go, you're uh, the other two key picks or say top six picks have to have a balance around yeah. the players. So it had a real flow on effect to to how the team was going to look and how you wanted to play. And Mr Khan was the man. Rashid Khan was, uh, was our first pick, yeah. yeah Andre Russell was, was second, both wonderful players. And in fact, the top two round drafts you can't miss, but in terms of performance and performing, you've got uh, a couple of the absolute best there. And you uh, would have been very happy to watch him perform as he did in the Big Bash. Yeah. yeah. And you've seen him, obviously, in that competition anyway right, and yeah. around the world. So. Yeah. And... and uh, an exciting tournament coming your way it'll be great uh, it's quite different there's a, a little bit of education and a maturing of the competition because England has sure. been so county based so there will be a little bit of, uh, of a bit of friction I think but once people see the calibre of the teams then we're in the entertainment business and um, and the best players that will be on show so hopefully that attracts a lot of interest yeah awesome yeah. two questions to finish one yes. is for those out there who are trying to make it to the top end of their field yes. whether that's through sport or through business um, maybe a key piece of advice uh, yeah. and then I've got one more bit more fun question to finish the um, I think if we look think back to, to, to my waffle through here um, as, as you talk you sort of you're evaluating certain times of your life and, and something that sort of resonated as it came out of my mouth was again the ability to listen yeah. you're so hell bent on setting your goals on what you want to do that uh, you often don't listen and see what's around you and that can be a big part of helping you develop there is that, there's that tunnel vision where you see a goal and you just got to get there some people can really um, they thrive on that mm. but I think for a bit of for a balance you, you need to have a balance around what you're trying to achieve. So being aware that the other aspects of your life are just as important and listening to people that um, they might not have an impact on your career. Um, so you might have a level of listening power. Just mm. try and give everybody as, as much of your time as possible would be something. Because uh, you never know when a piece of advice is going to come your way, like a pull home scenario where that gives you the next kick into into getting to your goal. And um, and the other way that I just said then was balance. Mm. But stay balanced. It's if you're chasing a dream, um, that's that's fantastic. But life's about balance. There is, there's so many twists and turns, aren't there, that can throw you. And that if that dream gets taken away, then uh, if there's not much substance to anything else, you can be left a little bit short. Being where your feet are. Being where your feet are. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. And I think one of the things that I've loved about you know becoming friends with you, Steve, over the last few years is is the chats that we've had. Yeah, they've been good. You know, and it's. Uh, I, I know I walk away learning things and you know that's through that listening process isn't it yeah, you know, when fun. we chat and, yeah. uh, and you're the same hopefully you say yeah. the same 
um, about me. My final question is one I'm going to ask all of my guests on, yes. on the Hard Yards, and uh, it's a bit of fun. If you could be any past or present sports star in the world for a day, yeah. who would you choose to morph yourself into for a day and live the life of that person being at their at their best? Uh, Tiger. Tiger Woods. Oh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> well, for the right go. reasons. Yes. <laughs> so the Tiger Woods, the golfer, oh. it's, uh, you're a fan, hey? Oh, you've always been a fan? Yeah. 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 And it's the goal, I, cricket I play, golf I love at the moment. It's yeah. just like, it's this game, I, this game, lucky enough to play it in some beautiful parts of the world and with some amazing people. It's become a tool of mine to get to know people, sure. as we talked about. Yeah. Four hours in a cart, uh, time and time again, it's just quality time when mm. everyone's rushing around. But yeah, to, to swap places and, and play the last round at Augusta is winning win. the entire And winners, Tiger. Yeah, good. Have you been to Augusta yet? No. No, it's got to be on the bucket list for you, I'm sure. I'll tell you what, it's also on the bucket list is the 16th of the Waste Management. That looks oh, a yeah. ripping day. Yeah, that's, that, I think that suits you. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you the Masters is, uh, is very, very special. And I was lucky yeah. enough to go in 2011. And yeah. the Friday afternoon, I was watching Jason Day shoot 64 in his first Masters and Rory leading by a lot. And, and I was standing on the putting green and talking to Bads and after he'd finished his round and, and the roars coming from the course yeah, were amazing. tiger roars. Yeah. And I said to Bads, look, mate, I'm really sorry. I've got to go. I'm at Augusta. Excuse it's Friday stuff, afternoon. Yeah. Yep. Tiger's yeah, making roars. I've got to go and watch. And, yeah. you know, to go and watch him play the last three holes and birdie the last with one of his trademark fist pumps up the last. Yeah, awesome. It was, it is, it is honestly goosebump moments. And the, the noise... And the noise is, you know, I've been to State of Origins and, and the like when Queensland yeah. are beating New South Wales and big full houses of one-day matches at the Gabba. And, but the noise that when Tiger makes those birdies at Augusta, it's so. special. So yeah. that's a good pick. Mate, uh, thank you so much for your time and, and certainly I look forward to catching up with you in the years to come and, uh, and all the best with what's ahead of you this year with, with the IPL and, Thanks, the, and the English T10. So uh, all the best and see if you can have a couple of wins. Hey? Good man. Thanks for chatting. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, buddy. So now you can see why I'm always keen to catch up and have a game of golf with Stephen Fleming. What a legend he is. Our chats are always of an educational capacity from one sport to another. See you soon, Mr. Fleming. So on to episode three, and we're sticking with a cricketing flavour as I catch up with more of a white ball specialist who's plying his T20 trade around the world these days, Benny Dunk. I do want to say a massive thanks for listening, and if you're enjoying my guest, please don't hesitate to share it around to those you think might enjoy it too. But until next week, don't forget to put in the hard yards.